Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Joshua assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church, brothers and sisters. Today we have a detailed lesson prepared for those internationally. The title of today's lesson will be Preparation for Restoration. The Preparation for Restoration. Brothers and sisters, there is a mindset a mentality that must take place, especially amongst the children of Israel, before we are restored. Also for Gentiles. Why? Because there's going to be a change, a changing of the guard, a transition without conflict, hopefully, brothers and sisters. So the way we perceive things, especially the kingdom, especially how to operate and who is who, who's respected, who's not respected. Brothers and sisters, there has to be a transformation. There has to be a reformation. And today, we will go into the preparation, the mentality that Jews and Gentiles should have, especially Israelites. When we say Jews, we mean Israelites. Let's go to 2 Ezra 6 and 57, brothers and sisters. 2 Ezra 6, verse 57. And now, O Lord, behold these heathen which have ever been reputed as nothing, have begun to be lords over us and to devour us. Now, why did we go here, brothers and sisters? We went here to the time of Ezra, the same Ezra from the, the, the Old Testament, to show you that even during Ezra's time, we had Gentiles or other people ruling over us, oppressing us, brothers and sisters. So when you hear Native people and, and Hispanic and Black people talk about oppression, understand this is not new to us. It's new to you. It's new to you because you have media and, and news and all this other stuff. But for us, it has become a way of life. Because Ezra lived hundreds of years before Christ, and here it was, he was bringing this out. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 57, And now, O Lord, behold, these heathen, which have, which have ever been reputed as nothing, have begun to be lords over us and to devour us. Now, why is he saying that heathens are reputed as nothing? Why? Because if you are a pagan, you are worthless to the Most High. If you serve other gods, if you don't serve him, you have no value to him. So when he calls the Gentiles heathens, it's because why? They follow heathenistic customs. And when we say heathenistic customs, heathen means they don't live by law. So they eat whatever they want. They worship whenever they want. They celebrate whatever they want. There's no law. Therefore, according to God, you are a heathen. Now, for Gentiles, especially the ones that follow our church, who are following the law, right? Trying to serve the Most High. Trying to put away the things that he has called out as unrighteous. Those people would not fit in this category of heathen. But in your natural state as a Gentile, the Bible would refer to you as a heathen. Read verse 58, brother, please. Verse 58. But we thy people, whom thou hast called thy firstborn, thy only begotten, and thy fervent lover, are given into their hands. So here it was, even during this time, the children of Israel, God's chosen people were given into the hands of people who follow no law. Verse 59. If the world now be made for our sakes. Read that part again, brother. If the world now be made for our sakes, why do we not possess an inheritance with the world? 
How long shall this endure? Now the Bible tells you that he created the earth is to be ruled by the children of Israel. Why? Because they follow his law. So it's really not that we're something great. But he wants the rule, excuse me, he wants the earth to be ruled by those who follow him. See, brothers and sisters, when he says, does, you know, shut it down on the Sabbath, no working, no spending money. And then we do that. See, that's what he's looking at when he says, don't eat swine. Okay. See, he wants people. He wants to deliver the earth into the hands of those who would implement his laws. Imagine this. Imagine there's a land out there. And a man says, listen, I'm going to give you this island. The only thing is you have to implement my laws on this island, but you'll be in control. This is what the Most High is saying here. He wants to deliver this earth to who? To those who follow his law, brothers and sisters. But we wanted to show you something. Read 59 one more time, brother, please. Verse 59. If the world not be made for our sakes, why do we not possess an inheritance in the world? Examine this part. How long shall this endure? What did he ask? How long shall this endure? So even then, our people were saying, how long do we have to have these Gentiles, these heathens ruling over us? These people who, you know, eat unclean foods and and, and celebrate pagan holidays, right? How long? So Ezra was asking this, how long shall this endure? Our people, Israel, have been calling out to the Most High for for thousands of years, brothers and sisters. Thousands of years, we have been crying out to the Most High. How long shall you allow the unrighteous to rule over the righteous? Let us show you something. Let's go to Romans. Let's go to Paul, brothers and sisters. Because we first wanted to start there, Old Testament. The Apographer is Old Testament, brothers and sisters. Now we're going to go to the New Testament, Romans 8 and 18. Let's see what Paul has to say. Romans 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So Paul writes of our present sufferings and our future glory, showing you that what, brothers and sisters, even during Paul's time we were suffering, and we're suffering today. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. See, so if we keep our eyes on the future glory, we can endure present sufferings, brothers and sisters. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God. Of who? Of the sons of God. See, so Paul highlights the eagerness of all of God's creation for what? For the restoration of Israel. Can you read that one more time? From the top. Uh, verse 19, yeah. Well, yeah, verse 19. Romans 8, verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. So all of creation anxiously awaits the culmination of salvation for God's people. Why? Because the earth will be a better place under the rule of the righteous. I mean, lobsters are confused right now. Crabs, shrimp, swine is confused on why they're being snatched up and eaten. Because Israel does not eat those things. Israel do not put animals in jail, right? You understand, brothers and sisters? See, so even the creatures are waiting for righteous rulership. Continue, brother, please. Verse 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, 
but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. See, so the whole creation suffers because of Israel's fall. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The glorious liberty of who? The children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. See, so Israel will not be the only beneficiaries of our restoration. The whole earth will benefit through the restoration of the children of Israel, brothers and sisters, including Gentiles. Gentiles will benefit, brothers and sisters. It said whole creation, Gentiles are part of that creation, brothers and sisters, created. Anything created will benefit for righteous rulership, brothers and sisters. But what? There has to be a preparation first, okay, for the children of Israel and for the Gentiles. Why? Because things are going to go upside down, so to speak, brothers and sisters. So it's, it's time now to prepare our minds, to prepare our minds for what? For change, for action, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Acts 3 and 19. How do we prepare? How do we prepare, brothers and sisters? Let's go to Acts. Let's, Acts 3 and 19. Let's see what Luke has to say here. Acts 3 verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, that word repent. Repentance is not being sorry. It's the act of reformation. How do we know? Read that one more time, brother. Verse 19. Repent you therefore. And what? And be converted. And do what? And be converted. Repentance without a conversion in conduct is fraudulent and therefore unacceptable, brothers and sisters. That your sins may be blotted out. Then the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. The times of what? The times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So the Messiah's return will be coupled with a full restora restoration of rulership to Israel. Brothers and sisters, continue brother. Verse 20. And he shall send Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution. Of all things. Now, brothers and sisters, I really need you to examine this because the author Luke is proclaiming a prognostication of full restoration. Brothers and sisters, this is New Testament. So Christians need to really get in this book, brothers and sisters, to know the times ahead. Because there is going to be a changing of the guard, brothers and sisters. And Israel must get in this book. Because why? The kingdom will not be just fall out of heaven and delivered unto you. You must be prepared, brothers and sisters. Here it is. We're at Acts, the third chapter, the 19th verse. We're going to start at the top again. Acts 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted. Now, that is key. Because the kingdom will not be delivered unto any who neglects to self-correct. The word repent, look at it. Look at the definition. It means to change, brothers and sisters. To change one's mind. So that means when you change your mind, you change your actions, brothers and sisters. So repentance is not saying, I'm sorry. If a brother cheats on his wife and says, I'm sorry. And then does it again later on that night. He did not repent. He lied. Because, because repentance is reformation. That's why it says repent and be converted, brothers and sisters. 
And it would be unethical to deliver power into the hands of the sinful, even if they're Israelites, brothers and sisters. Uh, read 19 one more time, brother. Verse 19. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. Who the heavens receive, remember Christ went up into the sky until the restitution of all things. Which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So you can read this all throughout the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. Therefore proving the validity of the Old Testament in its utilization today. Because it says God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets. Where are the prophets at? <laughs> Where are the prophets at, brothers and sisters? The Old Testament, the Torah and Tanakh, Moses, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Micah, Nahum, those are the prophets. The disciples of the New Testament were not prophets, brothers and sisters. Okay? Paul was not a prophet. <laughs> okay? Peter, these were not prophets. The prophets were actually in the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. See? So anytime someone says, well, no, we don't deal with the Old Testament, you see here that they're not following Christ at all. Because the truth comes in the volume of the book. Brothers and sisters, you cannot separate the Old Testament from the New Testament. You can't. It's one book, brothers and sisters. And you can't really understand the New Testament without first having prior knowledge of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. Brothers and sisters, let us show you. Uh, let's go to Luke, brother. Luke 12 and 32. Follow us there, please, brothers and sisters. We're at Luke, the 12th chapter, the 32nd verse. Luke 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is what, brother? Your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now look at this, because this evidence, excuse me, <clears throat> take a look at this, because this is the evidence that our people were salivating for a change back then. Read the, read the first part, brother. Verse 32. Fear not. Do what? Fear not. So he's trying to eliminate the fear that God would be unfaithful to the promises of Abraham. Verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, so we're exhorted to remember that we are the heirs of the heavenly kingdom, brothers and sisters. And notice the terminology, little flock, brothers and sisters, which gives indication that only a small minority will enjoy this inheritance. Just because you're Israel, just because you're black <laughs> or Hispanic, listen, most black and Hispanic and natives will not make it, brothers and sisters. That's just the simple fact of it. The Bible tells you that. So don't think because you're Israel or because you came off slave ships that you'll be there, you know, <laughs> in glory. Because most will not unless you're following Christ, unless you, you've hit water, if you, unless you found water and repented and were converted. You see, unless you know who God is. So we just wanted to show you that Christ knew that our people were fearful of the Most High not delivering the kingdom. That's why he said, fear not, little flock. Don't worry. It's God's, it's his pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's something he wants to do. See that, brothers and sisters? 
Let's go to Jeremiah 3 and 17. Follows to the Old Testament, please, brothers and sisters. We're here at uh, Jeremiah, the third chapter in the 17th verse. Jeremiah 3, verse 17. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. So according to the 17th verse in the third chapter of Jeremiah, our land will be the center of Hebrew theocracy. Brothers and sisters, let us show you. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 17. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it. And what? All the nations shall be gathered unto it. See, so Jerusalem shall be the point of attraction to the whole earth. Nation isn't country, it's nationality, brothers and sisters. It, when it says throne of God, so it's telling you where God lives. <laughs> you see that? Jerusalem will be the house of God, brothers and sisters, where God's people are. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 17. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. And all the nations shall be gathered unto it. All nations. To the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil hearts. See, so we're reading a prophecy of compliance from the Gentiles rather than stubborn resistance. It said they shall no more walk after their evil hearts. So any Israelite saying Gentiles cannot make it needs to go read the Torah again. Or excuse me, read the Torah and Tanakh again. Because many scriptures, a myriad of scriptures, prove that there will be Gentiles in heaven. Okay? So you have to get off this pro, you know, we're not a pro-Israelite, you know, we, we're not dealing with that. We're pro-Christ. So no matter what color somebody is, if you follow Christ, the tenants, then you'll be rewarded. Okay? And it's telling you, all nations shall be gathered. To Jerusalem. Is that happening now? Exactly, brothers and sisters. That's not happening now. Further proof that this is a prophecy, brothers and sisters. This is a prophecy. So that means what? Gentiles now have to, they have to do what? They have to now change their mentality on who we are and what they think about us. Because why? We know there's many people of other nations who look at us with disgust. Who hate, you know, hate to see us, hate to hear our voice, brothers and sisters. But the Bible is telling you that those who make it to that time will look to us. To look to us to what? To, to bring reconciliation between the Most High God and themselves. To go through the scriptures. To do what? To teach them on how to get closer to the Creator. So there has to be a change brothers and sisters, in the mentality, not just of the Israelites, but of those who've ruled over them. Let's go to Jeremiah 30 and 7, brother, please. Jeremiah, the 30th chapter, the 7th through the 11th verse. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Because before Jeremiah 3 has comes to, you know, comes to the present, we have to know this, Israel. Alas, for that day is great. So that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. It's what? The time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. Now Jacob's trouble. 
This time that we're in is called Jacob's Trouble. Secular people call it the New World Order. But Jacob's Trouble, that terminology is indicative of who it's against. Who is Jacob? The 12 tribes. Jacob is the father. Jacob's name was changed to Israel after he wrestled an angel. So it's telling you it's going to be a time of trouble for Jacob, for the Hispanics, for the natives and the blacks. It's going to be a time of trouble. And it said a time like there never had been before. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. But we shall be saved, Israel. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and I will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. Now, brothers and sisters, we're reading a time of unprecedented crisis. This is no ordinary calamity, brothers and sisters. These end days will be catastrophic, especially for the ethnic descendants of Israel, brothers and sisters. So we need you to examine this closely. Israel, examine this closely. Also, Gentiles, examine this closely. Read verse 8, brother, please. Jeremiah 30, verse 8. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck. A yoke, brothers and sisters, it's like yoking a donkey. It's something that you ride, you use to steer a donkey. Something that you use to ride a donkey or put a burden on. And will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. Now that's the key. Now strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. Showing you that the Gentiles have exploited us. They've exploited our sin. They've exploited our low, you know, our low standard of living. All the Gentiles have done what? Have exploited us and used us up. How do we know? Look, just look in the ghettos, brothers and sisters. What do you find there? You find a liquor store on every corner. Who owns the liquor store, brothers and sisters? Hmm? Who owns the liquor store? It's either Asians or it's Middle Easterns, right? Where I'm from in the city, especially on the East Coast, what else is there? You find carryout. <laughs> you find Chinese food on every block, right? Then you find what? The beauty supply store. Who owns that? The Koreans, right? The Koreans or, you know, some of the Chinese people. So, and you go in the beauty supply store and the only thing you see is black men and women on all these pictures. You're seeing do-rags and age cream and all this stuff. And then you see what? What else do you see, brothers and sisters? You see the gas station. Who owns that? The Arabs, right? See? So it's like everyone have profited off of us. They've come into our neighborhood and turned us into consumers. They put the liquor there. They put the Chinese food there. They put the gas there. They put the beauty supply there. And we own none of it. Our people really have to examine that. How anyone can just move up into our neighborhood, open, set up shop, <laughs> and nobody say nothing. Right? So this, what's getting ready to transpire, especially in Babylon, brothers and sisters, is what has to happen for Israel to be free. Read verse 9, brother, please. Verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king. Whom I will raise up unto them. David, their king, is speaking of Christ. Why? Because David was Christ's great great grandfather. You see that, brothers and sisters? 
So here we've already read that Satan's wrath will be directed to the ethnic descendants of all of Israel. And verse 8 also told us the liberation of God's people from all foreign oppressors would come during this time. Why? Because we would be gathered under who? Under who? Our king, the Messiah. We shall serve the Lord and their king, showing you that Christ and the Most High are different. Because here it shows the separation. It says they'll serve the Lord their God and David their king, which is speaking of Christ. Christians have to understand that Christ is not God. Okay? He's the Son of God through the Spirit. Read verse 10, please, brother. Jeremiah 30, verse 10. Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, said the Lord. Neither be dismayed, O Israel, for, lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet. And what? And none shall make him afraid. So here it is, brothers and sisters. The Most High is saying he is going to retrieve us from the land of our captivity. If this isn't us, who is it? Who is it? See, and it said, none shall make him afraid. So, brothers and sisters, the Most High is getting ready to start acting on our behalf if we get right. He's saying we will be protected from all people. None shall make him afraid. So Gentiles have to know this. Listen, the the free time where you was able to exploit us and come against us and demonize, criminalize us, that time is coming to an end, brothers and sisters. And you'll find yourself going against our God, brothers and sisters. Read verse 11, please, brother. Jeremiah 30, verse 11. For I am with thee, said the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations, whether I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 11. For I am with thee, said the Lord. Saith who? Said the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations, whether I have scattered thee, yet will I make a full end of thee. I won't make a full end of thee. I won't make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure. But what, brother? But I will correct thee in measure. But what, brother? But I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. Now look at that. See? So before the promise of restoration can be fulfilled, Israel must be severely disciplined. See? So this is for Jews and Gentiles here, because we're telling Gentiles that a changing is coming. And you have to get with the times, brothers and sisters. You have to get with the times. And also, Israel, before this change comes, there has to be severe discipline. Our people are getting ready to go through it. And the people who don't make it is because why? They're not following the Most High God, whether they're an Israelite or not. There's a punishment coming to Israel. Why? Because this has to happen before we can be elevated. Before a kingdom can be delivered to us, we have to be cleaned up. We must be disciplined. So I encourage all Israelites to, it's time to get focused. It's time to stop running around the clubs and drinking at bars. Why? Because there's a cleansing coming of our people. These Gentiles, Satan will use these Gentiles to cleanse us, brothers and sisters. And only a few will make it. 
Let's go to Romans 12 and 2, brother, because in order to make it, you have to know one thing, and Paul had it. In order to make it through this time, brothers and sisters, this is Jews and Gentiles. Romans 12, verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. What did he say, brother? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Paul emphasizes the need for a change in what? In how we think. Did you see that? See, that's why we said, brothers and sisters, we're in preparation for the restoration. Jews and Gentiles and everyone is going to have to cleanse. Cleanse their mind. Why? Because we've been conformed. Gentiles have been Conformed to the world. We, to some degree, have been conformed to the world. Gentiles believe we're thugs, we're criminals, right? The only thing we're good for is, uh, you know, shooting basketballs and throwing footballs or rapping. See? So, everyone else is more respected than us. The only thing a Hispanic is, is good for is picking strawberries for $2 a day. You see that, brothers and sisters? So, not just Israel. But the Gentiles also will have to have a transformation. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 3. Verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By what? By the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect. Will of God. So our ability to endure what's coming will be inextricably linked to what? Our mentality, brothers and sisters. This is a call for more than an external transformation. Paul is saying what? Let the inward change produce the outward, brothers and sisters. Paul says the renewal of our mind will be the key that gives us the ability to endure. Renew your mind. He said, be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. See? Because if your mind has not changed, you have not repented. This is for Jews and Gentiles, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, please follow us to Jeremiah, the fourth chapter, the 22nd verse. Jeremiah 4, verse 22. Because the question was, why do I need a renewed mind in order to endure? For my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sottish children. And they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil. They are what, brother? They are wise to do evil. But to do good, they have no knowledge. Now look at that. Our natural mind is programmed to conform to a world constructed to destroy us. Brothers and sisters. See? The wisdom we possess is that which invites our own destruction. Brothers and sisters. Are you seeing this? Because Paul said you have to endure. And the only way to endure is what? What? A renewed mind. Why? What is? Because our mind at this point, an unrenewed mind is what we're reading here. Especially for the Israelites. Especially. But it's not just Israel. No, of course, this the context of this scripture is he's saying who who is foolish? Read it again, brother. Verse 22. For my people is foolish. See, so we have to talk to our people. Because, yeah, we can point to what Gentiles have done and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, we understand. But we're dealing with ourselves right now. 
Because we have to have a renewed mind in preparation for the restoration. We understand what Gentiles have done. And if Gentiles don't get right, guess what? They're going to see the sword of the Lord. But for us, brothers and sisters, we have to transform how we're thinking. Why? Because there's a contrast in kingdoms. You're going from Satan's kingdom to Christ's kingdom. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 22. For my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sodish children, and they have not understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. So this text proves that an unrenewed mind has an inability to discern danger. It says they are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. So the question is, why would this lack of discernment prove to be lethal? Brothers and sisters. Why would this lack of discernment prove lethal and during Jacob's trouble? Let's go to Amos 9 and 9 for the proof. Follow us, brothers and sisters. Amos, the ninth chapter, the ninth and tenth verses. Amos 9, verse 9. For, lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations. He shall what? Sift the house of Israel among all nations. A shaking is coming, brothers and sisters. Like a corn sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. See, so the lack of discernment will not be innocuous in the time to come because there's a cleansing, there's a sifting, there's a separation of Israel getting ready to take place amongst all the nations that we find ourselves in captivity to, brothers and sisters. So Israel have to... It's time to lock in Israel because there's a cleansing coming. Remember, Jeremiah 30, the, you know, the Most High said he wouldn't let Israel go unpunished. So even though he's getting ready to free us from the hand of our oppressors, everyone won't be free, only those deserving of freedom. Brothers and sisters, read that one more time, brother, please. Amos 9, verse 9. For, lo, I will command... And I will sift the house of Israel among all nations. So he's going to use the nations to cleanse us. Like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. Continue, brother. All the sinners of my all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword. See, so look at this, brothers and sisters. It would prove to be a heinous miscalculation to delay changing what you know is wrong, brothers and sisters. And guess what? The misappropriation of time and grace will be justly and swiftly rewarded. How do we know? What's the reward, brother? Verse 10. Verse 10. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword. All the sinners of what? My people shall die by the sword, which say, the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. All the sinners of the children of Israel shall die by the sword. See? All they who suffer will be deserving of the torment received according to his righteousness. He said, all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword. So what the nations are preparing for you, Israel, if you are a sinner, you will not make it. You be in Israel, you could be as black as the street. I don't care if you just got off the slave ships. If you're a sinner, a purpose sinner, you're going to be destroyed. So it's time. It's time, brothers and sisters. Brother Joshua, let's go to Wisdom of Solomon, brother. Let's go to the Apocrypha. Follows to the Apocrypha, brothers and sisters. We're going to the Wisdom of Solomon, the first chapter, the twelfth verse. Wisdom of Solomon, one verse twelve. 
Seek not death in the air of your life, and pull not upon yourselves destruction with the works of your hands. We will receive the penalty of our own immoral decisions. Did you see? Did you see the? Uh, did you see the principle there, brothers and sisters? Read that again. Verse twelve: Seek not death in the air of your life. In what? In the error of your life. How do you do that? And pull not upon yourselves destruction with the works of your hands. What did that say? And pull not upon yourselves destruction with the works of your hands. Rebelliousness will always be met with the natural consequences of sin. He said, don't pull destruction on yourself. <laughs> don't pull it down on yourself. Why? Because the Most High provides enough rope to hang ourselves. Brothers and sisters, he give you a long leash. And what do we do? You take the rope, wrap it around your neck, get on the stand on the table. You do all that. So he's telling you, you pull destruction upon yourself. So, brothers and sisters, one thing I want to say to Israelites and Gentiles, don't ever make a decision more important than the consequences, brothers and sisters. Why? Because you don't have to live with the decision. The decision is one second. You have to live with the consequences, brothers and sisters. Okay? So never, ever make a decision more important than the consequences. Especially during this time, brothers and sisters. Let's show you. Let's go to Proverbs 11 and 5 because he said you pull destruction upon yourselves. So we're showing you the, the role we play in our own destruction, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 11 verse 5. The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way, but the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. There are sure consequences for both righteousness and wickedness. How do we know? Read verse 5, brother. The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way, but the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright shall deliver them, but transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. See? So there's sure consequences depending on if you choose righteousness or wickedness, brothers and sisters. And what we have to do is learn to connect the dots in our life, brothers and sisters. Learn to connect your choices to the good or bad events that follow. Why? Because it says transgressors drown in the misery of their own choices. <laughs> it says a transgressor shall be taken in his own naughtiness, in her own naughtiness. So we have to learn to connect those dots, brothers and sisters. You have to learn to do that or you'll continue to fall in the same trap over and over because why? You think everything is coincidence. And as long as you think it's a coincidence, you'll never learn the lesson God is preparing you to learn. Let's go to James, brother, 4 and 7. Preparation for restoration. We're going to James, the fourth chapter, the seventh verse. James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Look at this, brothers and sisters. There's a key word here. Can you read 7 again? Verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Submission to God is the only way to resist Satan, brothers and sisters. <laughs> That's why he said submit yourself to resist the devil. Because if you haven't submitted, you haven't resisted the devil. <laughs> okay, you just don't eat pork anymore. That's it. So it's showing you, brothers and sisters, resistance of the enemy without submission to God is what? It's an illusion. 
brothers and sisters, right? You may not eat pork and all that, but if you haven't submitted, you're still within the grasp of Satan, brothers and sisters. And when you, whenever you see the word submit or submission, that indicates power. Because that means you have the power to not do it, brothers and sisters. <laughs> see, so submission is power, brothers and sisters. It's not weakness. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, since we're talking about submission in order to resist the enemy. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, brothers and sisters. The third chapter, we'll have Brother Joshua read verse 27 and 28. Ecclesiasticus 3, verse 27. An obstinate heart shall be laden with sorrow. Obstinate means stubborn, brothers and sisters. And the wicked man shall heap sin upon sin. I want you to, to, to examine the first part. An obstinate heart shall be laden with sorrow. So your inability to submit will cost you your happiness. And the wicked man shall heap sin upon sin. So it's that stubbornness that will cause us to repeat the same offenses with regularity. Brothers and sisters, when it talks about heap sin upon sin, that means you do one sin and you just keep adding to it before even repenting or changing or, or anything. You just add sin to sin. Well, I'm already out here in the deep water. I might as well keep going. Read the ver next verse, brother, please. Ecclesiasticus 3, verse 28. In the punishment of the proud, there is no remedy. For the plant of wickedness hath taken root in him. Brothers and sisters, when it says taking root, that means it's down in you. You see, brothers and sisters? So grace is not applicable for perpetual purpose sins carried out with regularity. Brothers and sisters, heaping sin upon sin is dangerous. Why? Because it's now becoming a pattern of behavior. Brothers and sisters. And what do we know? We know the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So you have to be very careful about heaping sin upon sin, brothers and sisters. See? Let's go to Hebrews, brother, 3 and 12. And you have to be very, very critical, not to, critical of yourself not to do what? Heap sin upon sin, brothers and sisters. We're going to Hebrews, the third chapter, the 12th and 13th verse. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take heed. Brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So we're reading the effects that persistent sin works in the conscience, brothers and sisters. Can you read that again, brother, from the top? Verse 12, take heed, brethren. Least there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. When it says take heed, that means a spirit of watchfulness. This is something you ought to watch for. <laughs> That's what it means. And departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today. Least any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Least what? Least any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin. Sin makes us less sensitive to it every time it's perpetrated, brothers and sisters. See, that's why I said, at least you become hardened through the deceitfulness. 
with the persistent perpetration of a singular sin, we begin to put off shame. You see, brothers and sisters, we're less likely to experience the same level of regret the second time around. See, that's the deceitfulness of it. The first time, you know, you you got some anxiety, you, you know, your heart is pounding. But the more you do it, the less worried you become about it. And Satan knows this, brothers and sisters, and so does the Most High. So he said, take heed, right, that you don't heap sin upon sin. Why? Because then your heart becomes hardened through the deceitfulness. You see how that's linked, brothers and sisters? You have to be very, very careful. In in our life, we know when we're on a bad roll. We know when we're on a bad roll. <laughs> and we're like, well, you know, I'm already on a bad roll. I might as well get all this sin out now. So you know when you haven't been doing your best. You're, you're certain of it. You feel it, especially if you're a believer. You know when you haven't been putting up your A game and when you've been slipping. And what do you do? You continue to slip and slip and slip and slip when you know you're slipping. So if you know you're slipping, why not tighten up the deceitfulness of the sin? Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, brother, in the Apocrypha, please. Um, the fifth chapter, the fifth through the seventh verse. Ecclesiasticus 5, verse 5. Concerning appropriation, be not without fear to add sin unto sin. Now here it is. Concerning without the appropriation, brothers and sisters, be not fear to do what, brother? Be not without fear to add sin unto sin. See, so he's saying there's a strange tendency in us to do a second time what we've already done once. And say not his mercy is great. He will be pacified for the multitude of his of my sins. For mercy and wrath come from him, and his indignation resteth upon sinners. So here it is, brothers and sisters. Ecclesiasticus is telling us that perpetrating a particular sin with regularity is dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. It would be a miscalculation that you may not be able to recover from. Read verse 6 one more time, brother. Verse 6. And say not his mercy is great. He will be pacified for the multitude of my sins. He shall what? He will be pacified for the multitude of my sins. Continue, brother. For mercy and wrath come from him, and his indignation resteth upon sinners. Make, verse 7. Make no tarrying to turn to the Lord, and put not off from day to day, for suddenly shall the wrath of the Lord come forth. And in the security thou shalt be destroyed, and perish in the day of vengeance. Brothers and sisters, do you see this? Are you seeing this, brothers and sisters? It's telling you that heaping sin upon sin with regularity is dangerous. Why? Because it tranquilizes the guilt of your conscience, leading you to cast off restraint. That's why verse 7 said what, brother? Verse 7. Make no tarrying to turn to the Lord. Don't take your time. And put not off. From day to day, for suddenly shall the wrath of the Lord come forth. Shall what? The wrath of the Lord come forth. You, you see the danger in that, brothers and sisters? It said suddenly, right? That means you won't be expecting it, brothers and sisters. And according to this text, the misappropriation of grace warrants a catastrophic ending. 
I, didn't, I, I hope you got this, brothers and sisters. How do we know this is talking about the misappropriation of grace? Read verse 6 and 7 again, because see, this is what Christians do. Verse 6, and say, not his mercy is great. He will be pacified for the multitude of my sins. For mercy and wrath come from him, and his indignation rest, resteth upon sinners. See that, brothers and sisters? He says, listen, God's mercy is great. I'm under grace, right? I'm under grace. See? The Bible tells you that mercy and wrath come from the Most High. See, Christians never talk about the wrath. They only talk about what? The mercy, the grace. Verse 7 said, do not take your time in turning back to the Most High because the, the longer you stay away, the more distant you become. And it becomes harder to come back. You see, brothers and sisters? So this text magnifies the unexpected consequences that come with the misappropriation of grace. It said, suddenly, brothers and sisters, shall the wrath of the Lord come forth. Now understanding that should do what? It should put the fear of the Most High in your heart. Why? Because it's the fear of the Most High in your heart that will, 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 will have you restrain yourself. But when you fear somebody else or, or, or something else, more than the most high, then hey, you're going to meet the wrath of God. You're going to meet the wrath of God. Make no tarrying. Do not take your time to turn to the most high. Don't say, well, you know, because why, brothers and sisters? What do people say? I can stop if I want to. <laughs> can you? Yeah, I can stop at any time. See? Let's go to Proverbs 26 and 2, brother. Examine this closely, please, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> Excuse me. Proverbs 26, verse 2. As the bird by wandering, as a swallow by flying, so the curse causes less shall not come. So look at this, brothers and sisters. I need you to examine it closely because the Bible is telling you the Most High does not curse randomly there is a just cause for his purpose judgment it said the curse there is no cur uh, causeless curse brothers and sisters see so trouble from god falls on no man without a holy reason read that one more time brother verse two as the bird by wandering as a swallow by flying so the curse causeless shall not come see so there's no undeserved curses <laughs> there is a cause for er every effect Brothers and sisters, when a bird, it appears that it's wandering, but it's it's flying somewhere specific, brothers and sisters. <laughs> okay? So the curse causeless shall not come. There's no undeserved curses. And this text explains the law of cause and effect. Read the next scripture, brother, please. Verse 3. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. And what? A rod for the fool's back. See? So when things are going on within your life, you have to find out the cause, brothers and sisters. Especially if things are getting out of hand and out of control. Because why? There's no such thing as a causeless curse from the Most High. So it's incumbent upon you and I to do what? To examine or deal with self-examination if these things are going on. 
brothers and sisters, not to point to everyone else. Because see, when you blame somebody else for what you've done, you can't learn. And you'll likely do it again because according to you, it's not your fault. So you have to be very, very careful, brothers and sisters. Anytime I do, um, when I do counseling, brothers and sisters, whether it's marriage counseling or just dealing with issues, you know, amongst the body, I always ask, what could you have done better? What could you have done different? And if if either if either say nothing, then I understand. That's where the problem is. Pride right there. Because there's no one who handles everything perfectly or says, well, I, I couldn't have did anything different. I couldn't have did anything better. <laughs> See, that's the pride. And now you have to put the pride down or there can be no reconciliation. So we have to know this, brothers and sisters, just the principle. The principle is the most important. Let us show you. Brother Joshua, let's go back to the Apocrypha, brother. I know we're jumping back and forth here, but hey, this is what has to be done. This is how scholars utilize the Bible, brothers and sisters. Ecclesiasticus 27, verse 3. Unless a man hold himself diligently in the fear of the Lord, his house shall soon be overthrown. House is life, brothers and sisters. Why? Where do you live? In a house, brothers and sisters. So he's telling you that if you don't diligently make yourself fear the Most High, your your life will be overthrown. The Bible is telling you, or Ecclesiasticus is telling you, sin increases when there's no fear of God, brothers and sisters. The Bible is clear that a fear of God suppresses evil, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time because it's something I, I want to... Ecclesiasticus 27 verse 3 Unless a man hold himself diligently in the fear of the Lord Unless a man hold himself diligently in the fear of the Lord Are you seeing that brothers and sisters? (laughs) See? So you have to be mindful You have to be watchful You have to understand what your actions tell the Most High You have to know what you making certain decisions means to the Most High and how He's viewing that. Stop trying to view it as you viewing it in the first person. You have to step outside of yourself. Once you're able to step outside of yourself and see it from that perspective, you'll be a better man. You'll be a better woman. Because why? The truth is more so how other people are seeing it (laughs) and not you. We have to learn to do that, brothers and sisters. Look at things from the Most High's perspective. Let's go to Tobit, brother, in the Apocrypha. We're still in the the Apocrypha, brothers and sisters. We're at Tobit 4 and 5. Tobit 4, verse 5. My son, be mindful of the Lord our God all thy days, and let not thy will be set set to sin, or to transgress his commandments. Do uprightly all thy life long, and follow not the ways of a unrighteousness continue brother for if thou deal truly thy doing shall prosperously succeed to thee and to all them that live justly now brothers and sisters it told you to be mindful not to set your mind or your will to sin brothers and sisters why because once you've set your will you set your will to sin you're likely going to fall Brothers and sisters, the strongest the strongest thing that God gave man was a will. He has a will. 
Why? Because the Most High has a will. And that's the most dangerous thing that he gave man also. Brothers and sisters, read that one more time, please. Verse 5. My son, be mindful of the Lord our God all thy days. Be mindful all the time. He's the first person you should think of before making a decision. And let not thy will be set to sin. Why? Because he knows once our will is set to something, it likely we have to pursue it. Or to transgress his commandments, do uprightly all thy life long, and follow not the ways of unrighteousness. Continue, brother. For if thou deal truly, thy doing shall prosperously succeed to thee, and to all them that live justly. Now, this is called faith, brothers and sisters. I believe that if I do the right thing, I will be prosperous, period. There's nothing that you're going to tell me or anyone else is going to tell me that I need to take a shortcut to get what I want. I believe if you do the right thing, brothers and sisters, you will receive what's due to you, brothers and sisters. And guess what? The Most High cannot allow you to be rewarded by doing the wrong thing. Why? Because it teaches you now that I can do the wrong thing and be rewarded. Same thing with a child, brothers and sisters. So you're going to fail. Why? Because I can't let you have success doing the wrong thing. And that's what you really have to be careful for. That's one of the most deceptive parts of the sin, brothers and sisters. It's when we determine good and evil based on the result. So if it doesn't result in, you know, it something good happening, then, you know, then I shouldn't have did it. But if I get what I want, even though I did something evil to get it, listen, that's the, the cost of doing business. See? So, brothers and sisters, we have to be very, very careful not to let thy will be set to sin. Because at that point, especially Israelites, very stubborn, once our mind is made up, our mind is made up. And the Most High knows that. See, that's why we're talking about the, the transformation of the mind, brothers and sisters. Because once Israel's mind is made up, if that's on evil or good, brothers and sisters, we become zealous for it. Whether that be righteously or in wickedness. Let's go to Luke, brother, 17 and 20. Go into the gospel here. Follow us there, please, brothers and sisters. Luke 17, verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, What did he say? The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Continue. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Mm. Brothers and sisters, especially the children of Israel, those of us who are waiting, right? What are we waiting on? We're waiting for the deliverance of the kingdom. The Most High said, everything you need to bring the kingdom is within you. See, our people have gotten lackadaisical. We've sat back, you know, just, you know, not eating pork and following the Sabbath, expecting the kingdom to come down from heaven. And Christ is telling you, you have, you know, you've made the wrong observation here. There's something you must do in order to receive the kingdom. Why? Because in order to build the kingdom, you have to look within. 
We built all these kingdoms. Who built Egypt? Who were the slaves that was building Egypt? Who built Babylon? Who built uh, uh, America? So he's saying everything you need to bring the kingdom is within you. You've just been trained to use it for everyone but yourself. <laughs> See? You've been trained to use it for everyone but yourself. You've been trained to let the Gentiles to exploit you. You can't take your own gifts. You can't take that for yourself. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 20, please. Luke 17, verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. It don't come with you looking into the sky. Verse 21. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, what does that mean? It obviously means that the kingdom's not going to fall from the sky. What he's telling you is there's something that you must do. There's something in you you must pull outside of you in order to have this kingdom. Let us show you something here, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Leviticus 20 and 22. We're going back to the Torah. Leviticus 20, verse 22. Ye shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments, and do them, that the land, whether I bring you to dwell therein, spew you not out. Now look at this, because here it is, he's speaking to Israel before we obtain the kingdom, the promised land, brothers and sisters. And he stipulates that the possession of the land is dependent upon obedience. Could you read that again, brother? Verse 22, ye shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them that the land, whether I bring you to dwell therein, spew you not out. To maintain ownership of the promised land, brothers and sisters, compliance is required. See, Israel needs to understand this. You're saying, yes, the promised land belongs to us. When is he going to deliver the kingdom, our, our power? But understand one thing, brothers and sisters, that land cannot hold evil. The land will refuse to allow wickedness to reside within the borders. That's why we got put out of the land, brothers and sisters. It said the land will spew you out, brothers and sisters. The very elements of the earth will revolt against you as direct consequences for sin. That's how the promised land works, brothers and sisters. So there was a time when we, when, while we were dealing with sin, the animals started coming after us, brothers and sisters. Lions just started ripping us apart. And then what happened? The ground wouldn't bring forth any seed, brothers and sisters. Nothing would grow out of the ground. So the, the entire land just started turning on us. And that was purposely, brothers and sisters. So he said, there's some information you need to know. Before you're fully restored back into the land. The number th one thing is, you must follow the law. See? So I don't care what Israelite it is. If you're not following the law, you're not getting into the promised land. Period. The Most High is not going to allow you. Why? Because it's going to spew you out. Let's go to Leviticus, brother, 25. I want you guys to see something here. We're going to read 1 through 5, brother. Leviticus 25. And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Now, examine this closely. 
brothers and sisters, because we're still in the wilderness and not yet in the promised land. How do we know? Read that one more time. And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai. In where? Mount Sinai. Same. So already, brothers and sisters, this reminds us that Israel was still camped around Mount Sinai or camped at Mount Sinai. This is critical, brothers and sisters. This information that he's getting ready to disseminate, this this information he's getting ready to, to bring out, brothers and sisters, was information before we received the promised land. Read, read verse 2, brother. Verse 2. Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, and a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field, nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed. For it is a year of rest unto the land. So, brothers and sisters, this was before we went into the land. That's why we read verse 1. Because it said while we were still at Mount Sinai. So according to these five scriptures, the Most High commanded his people to give the land a rest every seven years. Just like we rest on the seventh day. Which means you could not pick any fruit, plant any seeds, sow the fields on that seventh year. So that seventh year, you were to let the land rest. See? This was to be a radical demonstration that the land belonged to God and not us, brothers and sisters. During the sabbatical year, there must be no systemic or systematic harvesting, brothers and sisters. Now, this was all before we went into the land. That's critical. That is critical. That Moses thought that before we received the promised land, we needed to know this. Now, Israel is looking for what? We're looking for the promised land again, right? So now we have to go back and see what transpired before we received the promised land. Let's read it again, brother, from the top. Leviticus 25, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. So when you go into this land that I'm delivering to you, the land has a Sabbath. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. So for six years, you can, you know, you can work the fields and reap the benefits. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land. So the land has to rest on the seventh year. Every seventh year. A Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field, nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of his own accord of thy harvest thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed. For it is a year of rest unto the land. Brothers and sisters, observing the Sabbath year was also a powerful testimony of dependence on God. You see that, brothers and sisters? On that seventh year, you had to let that land rest. Because if God rested on the seventh day, then everything else is supposed to rest on the seventh, brothers and sisters. 
See, these are the laws we need to comprehend if we're thinking about promised land, Israel. See, without the knowledge to this, why? Because he said the kingdom is within you. He said what? The kingdom doesn't come by observation. See? Let's go to Jubilees, brother. Let's go to Jubilees. Because see, now you're understanding why he told us to follow the Sabbath, brothers and sisters. He was preparing us for the promised land. <laughs> Let's read Jubilees chapter 50, verse 6 through 8. Jubilees 50, verse 6. And behold the commandment regarding the Sabbaths. I have written them down for thee. And all the judgments of its laws. Now look at this. Because see, before he gave us the land, right? He said, okay, the seventh day you do no work. Okay? You do no work. You do no servile work. You don't do anything that you would do on any other day on the Sabbath day. Why? He was preparing us for a much bigger Sabbath day. He said, if you can't deal with the one day, how can you deal with the year? You see that? Read that one more time, please, brother. Jubilees 50, verse 6. And behold the commandment regarding the Sabbaths. I have written them down for thee, and all the judgments of its laws. Six days shalt thou labor, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it ye shall do no manner of work, ye and your sons, and your men, servants, and your maidservants, and all your cattle, and the sojourn also who is with you. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. He said, on six days you can work, but on that seventh day, you rest. You shall do no work. Nobody in your family, that means your sons, your daughters, your servants, your maids, your cattle should not be grazing. And all the sojourners who are with you. So if a Gentile wanted to be amongst us, they had to keep the Sabbath, okay? Or you couldn't be amongst us, brothers and sisters. Read the next scripture, please, brother. Verse 8. And the man that does any work on, on it shall die. Read that again, brother. And the man that does any work on it shall die. Whosoever desecrates that day, whoever lies with his wife. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. It said if you work on that day, during this time, there was no grace, brothers and sisters. If you worked on that day, you would die. Now, people may say, what kind of God would kill you for working on a day? The same kind of God that gave you six days to do whatever you want. That kind of God. Read it one more time, brother. Verse 8. And the man that does any work on it shall die. Whoever desecrates that day, whoever lies with his wife. So there would there's no, inter, there's no sexual intercourse on the Sabbath. Friday night to Saturday night, you are not to be dealing with the pleasure that comes with sleep. Or whoever says he would do something on it. So if a person makes a plan for the Sabbath. That he will set out on a journey thereon in regard to any buying or selling. And whoever draws water thereon which he had, had not prepared for himself on the sixth day. And whoever takes up any burden to carry it out of his tent or out of his house shall die. Shall what? Shall die. Now look at this brothers and sisters. Because the Most High was giving us laws to prepare us to be recipients of the promised land. This is why he told us in Exodus, uh, in Exodus 20 to keep the Sabbath day holy. Because he said, I need you in preparation. 
Because if you don't prepare now, you will not get in. Because there's no way <laughs> that you're going to let the land rest for a whole year and you can't even take the day off. See? You can't stop traveling on the side. See that? Jump to verse 12, brother. Verse 12. And every man who does any work thereon, or goes on a journey, or tills his farm, whether in his house or any other place. So look at that, brothers and sisters. It says, you shall not go out on a journey. So you don't take long travels on the Sabbath. Why? Because you should have did that on another day. Continue. And whoever lights a fire or rise on any beast. It says, whoever lights a fire. Why? Because you had to actually go gather sticks, go find some sticks suitable for fire. <laughs> you had to carry them back. You had to start rubbing them or however, you know, they were doing it at this time. So you couldn't do that. You had to already have a fire burning from Friday night through Saturday. So it, it wasn't like we didn't have a fire, but you couldn't start a fire. See, the fire had to be running from Friday to Saturday night, brothers and sisters. Continue, brother. Or travels by ship on the sea. Or whoever strikes or kills anything. You can't kill. You can't You can't hunt and fish. Or slaughters a beast or a bird. Or whatever catches an animal or a bird or a fish. Or whoever fasts or makes war on the Sabbath. You were not allowed to fast on the Sabbath. Why? Because you should have did that on your own time. So you can fast through the Sabbath, but you can't fast on the Sabbath. There's a difference. So if I started fasting on Wednesday and I wanted to do a week, then I would fast through the Sabbath. But you don't start a fast on the Sabbath. It also says makes war on the Sabbath. So you were not allowed to fight on the Sabbath. You see this, brothers and sisters? Why are we going here? Because we're showing you how the Most High was putting us in preparation for restoration. See? He said, before you get the land, follow this. Follow the small law. Follow the, the one day. Don't do your own accord. Follow that. Because why? If you can't do that, I can't allow you into the promised land. Because you won't let the land rest. See? Small things say a lot, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Leviticus, brother. Let's go back to Leviticus 26 and 34. We're just showing you how the Most High prepares us in life. He never just puts you, you know, He never just puts you there, brothers and sisters. He builds you up little by little because He knows you're not ready. So it's little things that He's testing you on to see if he can give you the big reward, brothers and sisters. Read verse 34 uh, through 35, please, brother. Leviticus 26, verse 34. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths, as long as it lieth desolate, and ye be in your enemy's land. Even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest. Because they did not rest in your Sabbaths when you dwelt upon it. I need you, Israel, I really need you to examine this. Because failure to keep this command determined the length of our captivity. Are you seeing that? He's saying, since you didn't allow the land to rest, I'm going to take you out of the land and put you in your enemy's land so, that, so my land can rest. 
You see that, brothers and sisters? So don't tell me it wasn't important. Read that one more time, brother, verse 34. Verse 34. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths, as long as it lieth desolate. As long as it lies desolate. And ye be in your enemy's land. And what? And ye be in your enemy's land. So that's a shame that the land, the promised land, can only enjoy her Sabbath while we were in captivity. Even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when ye dwelt upon it. Look at that, brothers and sisters. See? So, these, what you would deem as small laws are actually the beginning of something greater, brothers and sisters. Because there's no way you're going to make the Most High believe, or me for that matter, <laughs> that, okay, yeah. You know, I don't follow the, the weekly Sabbath, but then I'll follow the seventh year Sabbath. So you're going to go from one day to 364 days. You can't do it on one day, but you can do it for 364 days. Come on now, brothers and sisters. See, that's why we're going into this. The preparation for restoration, because in order for us to be restored in that land, there's some things you must know first. Let's go to Leviticus 25 and 20, brother. Leviticus 25, verse 20. And if ye shall say, what shall we eat the seventh year? Because why? Some people were saying, well, hold on. If we can't pick the fruits, if we can't graze the land, if we can't, you know, sow the seeds, how are we going to eat in the seventh year? Read. Behold, we shall not sow, nor gather in our increase. Read, read it from the top, brother, please. Verse 20. And if ye shall say, What shall we eat on the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow, nor gather in our increase. Then it will, it will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for three years. So what happens, he said, when people say, Well, if we can't pick the fruit... We can't live off the land in the seventh year. How are we going to eat? Read verse 21, brother, please. Then I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year. Which year? The sixth year. And what happens? And it shall bring forth fruit for three years. Look at that. <laughs> he would provide a harvest that yielded three years worth of food in the sixth year. Brothers and sisters, showing you the Most High always provides the necessities needed to keep his law. See? So he said, listen, if you would have did what was right in six, you wouldn't be hurting for food in the seventh. <laughs> See? Same thing with the weekly Sabbath, brothers and sisters. If you would have used the money properly during the week, you wouldn't have to desecrate his Sabbath and say, well, I need some extra money, so, you know, I'm going to work on the Sabbath. What? Everybody needs extra money. He's telling you, listen, if you would have properly, you know, managed all your money that I've given you, you wouldn't have to break my day. So really what you're telling me is you're going to mismanage what I've already given you and then break my day because you chose to mismanage. You see, brothers and sisters, this is how the Most High is looking at this. You have grace. Yes, you don't have grace to go make money. You have grace when you're forced to do something, brothers and sisters. Where you really have no way out of it. You, it, it. Grace is not for inconvenience. 
brothers and sisters. Grace is not for inconvenience. And these are critical principles that we must comprehend, brothers and sisters. Let us show you something. Let's go to Proverbs 21 and 20, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 21, verse 20. What's that say, brother? There is a treasure to be desired, and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man speteth it up. Look at that. The Bible clearly tells us it's foolish to spend all that we have. <laughs> you see that, brothers and sisters? There's a treasure to be desired, and in oil, and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. So it's telling you, a foolish man don't plan for the future. He's just looking to, you know, do whatever he wants to do in the moment. You're seeing that, brothers and sisters? Because why? He's telling you, if I gave you enough in the sixth year to keep you for three years, for the sixth, the seventh, and the eighth, while you're waiting for it to come back around, the Most High will always provide the tools necessary for you to what? To follow his laws, brothers and sisters. Always. Go to Leviticus 25 and 23, please, brother. Leviticus 25, verse 23. This is what you need to know, Israel, before you receive the promised land. The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me. So no land within the promised land could be permanently sold, brothers and sisters. And in all the land of your possession, ye shall grant a re redemption for the land. So every 50th year, all leased or mortgaged lands were to be returned to the original owner, brothers and sisters. That was the law. That's called a jubilee year. So a brother could not, you know, sell land, uh... For good, because why? It's the most high's land. So if a land was given as an inheritance to a son and he had to, he was hard on his luck. He had no money at the time. He would sell the land to a brother, right? But he would have to give it back eventually. Because why? The land does not belong. And this is how the land stayed in the family, brothers and sisters. This is how the land stayed in the family. And the most high created these principles why? In order for us to not be able to exploit each other, brothers and sisters. Read that from the top, brother, please. Leviticus 25, verse 23. And the land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possessions, ye shall grant a redemption for the land. So a redemption, that means... If I sell land or if I buy land from a brother, I always have to give him the ability to buy it back. You can't say, well, nah, uh, nah, it's mine now. Can't do that. Verse 25. If thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possessions, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which is brother's soul. See, so if his brother have sold something because he's struggling, or his sister have sold something because they're struggling, then any of his kin can come buy it back for him. And you can't stop him. Verse 26. And if the man have none to redeem it, and himself be able to redeem it, 
Let him count the years of sale thereof, and restore the overplus unto the man to whom he sold it, that he may return unto his possession. So what are we seeing, brothers and sisters? We're seeing that all property sold reverted back to the original owners, brothers and sisters. You could sublease the land, but they couldn't sell it. Why? Because it wasn't ours to sell, brothers and sisters. <laughs> See, you could lease it out, but you really couldn't sell it because it's not yours. And guess what? Every lease would expire in the year of Jubilee, brothers and sisters. Once the Jubilee year swings around, the current non-original owner of the land must release it back to the original holder for the land to be free. So if you didn't allow the brother to buy it back, example, if a brother sold me an island for, for low money and then he tried to come get it back and I said no, well, guess what? In the 50th year, I was going to have to give it back to him for free. Instead of taking the money and giving the brother back his land like it should have been done, now you have to release it for free now. <laughs> you see how the Most High set it up? He said you either allow the brother to buy back his land or you're going to give it back to him for free in the 50th year. Now look at that, brothers and sisters. Here is the fundamental principle. What is it? The land cannot be sold because it belonged to the Most High. You must know this. If you're looking to inhabit the promised land, the kingdom, brothers and sisters. Now let us show you something. Let's go to 1 Chronicles 29 and 11. Why? Because that was the law of the land. But he gave us laws before the land that would help you what? That would help you become disciplined to do what? To be able to follow these laws once you receive the land, brothers and sisters. Let us show you 1 Chronicles 29 and 11. The Most High was preparing us this whole time. We'll read 11 through 14, brothers and sisters. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Read that part again. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. And thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come forth, come of thee. Read that again, brother. Both riches and honor come of thee. And thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Brothers and sisters, David recognized that all wealth and abundance are gifts from God. He said both riches and honor come from the Most High. He reigns over all things. And he is the one who gives you power to have strength or power to be rich. See? So the Most High's ownership of everything is a principle that must be acknowledged. Read verse 12 one more time, brother. Verse 12. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thy hand is power and might. In his hand he has power and might. And in thy hand it is to make great. He can make you great. And to give strength unto all. He can give you strength. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and, pra <clears throat> and praise thy glorious name. Continue. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? 
for all things that come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Read 14 one more time. Look at it closely. Because the Most High claims exclusive ownership over everything in this world, brothers and sisters. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee. All things come of thee. And of thine own have we given thee. Look at that. So he, <laughs> so look at that, brothers and sisters. When you offer something to the Most High, you're only offering what he's given to you. You're not the owner. And see, that's the principle. God owns everything. We are simply his managers, brothers and sisters. See, we must live with the awareness that we are managers, not owners. Because David is saying, yes, I'm offering these wonderful things to the Most High, but I'm only offering them because he gave them to me to offer. You understand that, brothers and sisters? And guess what? The best way to start thinking like a steward is to recognize you do not own anything. See, that's critical. Because if you realize you're a manager and not an owner, when the Most High tell you to do something, no matter what it is, especially if it's using your resources or whatever the case may be, you do it. Why? Because you know it's not yours. You see that, brothers and sisters? That's the principle. This was the principle he was teaching us. Why? Because there's a law in the land that what? You can't sell land purposely. Uh, excuse me, permanently. And if a land is subleased, it must be returned for free in the 50th year. Why? Because it's God's land. Let's go to Proverbs 3 and 9, brother. Because we're going to... Let's deal with that principle quickly. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord... With thy substance, and with the and with the first fruits of thine increase. What did that say, brother? Honor the Lord with thy substance. Look at that. We ought to honor God in the expenditure of our substance, our resources, our money. And with the first fruits of all thine increase, so shall thy thy barns be filled with plenty. So shall what, brother? So shall thy barns be filled with plenty. And thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. It says, honor the Lord with thy substance. Substance points to capital, to revenue or income, brothers and sisters. And by this, we acknowledge that the Most High is the giver of all things. Read it one more time, brother, please. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. And with the last fruits. With the first fruits of all thine increase. Uh, with what I have extra. With the first fruits of all thine increase. By this we acknowledge that the Most High is the giver of all things. He said with the first fruits. So you give the Most High his first. <laughs> See, he don't want what's left over. Well, yeah, if I have some extra. No. You don't get it. The first goes to him, brothers and sisters. Giving the first of what we have is a tangible way of expressing our gratitude. And what happens after we give the first fruits, brother? Read verse 10. Verse 10. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall, be, shall burst out with new wine. See? So then your bank account. <laughs> then the things that you need will be filled with plenty. Why? Because you gave the first fruits of what you made to the Most High. Because a lot of people want to just praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. He said, show me with your substance. 
because talk is cheap, brothers and sisters. So we had to learn that because why? How we handle money demonstrates who we really believe is the true owner, brothers and sisters. How you manage money determines how you will manage greater things. And that's what the most, that's the principle, brothers and sisters. That is the principle. Honor the Most High, not just with your mouth, but with your substance. Why? Because where you spend your substance at is the things you care about most. People don't spend their money on things they don't care about. Examine your budget. See where the most money is being spent. And that will give an indication on what you believe is the most important, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Micah, brother, four and one. Micah, the fourth chapter, the first verse. Micah 4, verse 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow onto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of God, and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 2. Micah 4, verse 2. And many nations shall come and say, Come. And let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Many nations shall say, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, which is Israel. And to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways. So our people would teach the Gentiles. And we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth from Zion. For what? Shall go forth from Zion. What shall Zion. go forth? For the law shall go forth of Zion. For the law shall go forth out of Zion, meaning the children of Israel will be delivering the law. They will be teaching the world the law, brothers and sisters. <laughs> See that, brothers and sisters? Read verse 3. Verse 3. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn any war anymore. Look at that, brothers and sisters. It's telling you that when our people go into the land, the whole world will travel to Jerusalem to hear the word of God, to become closer to God. And verse 3 tells you there shall be no more war. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? When Israel was back in the land, there will be no more wars. Read that again, brother, verse 3, because this is further proof. This is further proof that the people over there in Israel right now are not the Israelites. Verse 3. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation. Nations shall not lift up sword against each other. Neither shall they learn more anymore. Neither what? Shall they learn more anymore. See? So what we do is we always give you what the future looks like, brothers and sisters. And then we show you how he's prepared you in the past to be able to deal with your future. 
See? So this was the future that he would send all nations to us to learn the word of God. And there would be no hostility, no animosity, no war. Now let us examine how he looked to prepare us for this time. How did he look to prepare Israel for this time? For having those who were against us coming to us and learning against us. I mean, learning with us. And us having no hostility against them. How did he prepare us for this? Proverbs 24 and 17 is the answer. Proverbs, the 24th chapter, the 17th verse. Proverbs 24, verse 17. Rejoice not when thy enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Here is a real measure of godliness and wisdom, brothers and sisters. What was the principle, brother? Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. So the text says that it's our duty not to rejoice at the misfortunes of enemies, brothers and sisters. Are you seeing this? See, the Most High was teaching all of this. Because he said, you're going to need this. Why? Because you need to have your mind renewed. <laughs> Are you seeing all the things that the Most High tried to teach us to get us prepared for the restoration, brothers and sisters? See, please not ourselves in the destruction of who? Our enemies, brothers and sisters. Rejoice not when the enemy fall and don't be glad when he stumbles, brothers and sisters. So as followers of Christ, we are advised to behave with benevolence and victory. This is how he prepared us for, brothers and sisters. And guess what? This is actually against your natural desire. Your natural desire is that when some, you don't like somebody or they've done something against you, is that they fail. And you're happy at their failure. See, but Israel can't do this. Israel is held to another standard. This is how he prepared us, saying, listen, upon the restoration, I'm going to have all nationalities come to Jerusalem to learn from you. And you're going to deliver the law as Christ would have delivered it. And there'll be no more war. Now, this time, as we're speaking, our people still have a lot of animosity against Gentiles. You have to work that out. Because if you don't work out that hostility you have against white people or whatever people, you will not be there. You're not going to have to worry about restoration of the land because you're not going to be in the land. Further proof. Let's go to Job 31 and 28, brother. Job, the 31st chapter, the 28th through the 30th verse. Job 31, verse 28. This also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I should have denied the God that is above. If I rejoice at the destruction of him that hated me. If what? If I rejoice at the destruction of him that hated me, or lift, lifted up myself when evil found him. Look at this, brothers and sisters. He said, I should be punished by the judge that I have denied the most high if I rejoice at the destruction of those who hate me. Why? Because the children of light find no pleasure in the calamity of sinners. See, that's being a child of God there. You see in that, brothers and sisters? And see, this is why Gentiles, predominantly Edomites or white people, do not want us knowing that we're the children of Israel. <laughs> because if we knew, if they knew, that we had done this to them, they would look to kill us, brothers and sisters. 
See, but we're not you. We're the children of Israel. So we forgive. Just imagine, brothers and sisters, there's no other people in this earth where if white people enslaved them, they could just be walking all next to them in the store. If you would have did that to the Koreans or the Asians or to the Africans or any of these other people, there would have been a hostility until the end of time. How can they walk next to the same Hispanics they've now colonized? The Spaniards. See? Because God created us differently. So they knew, brothers and sisters, that if this had happened to anyone else, they would never forgive. And that's why they are afraid of us having that knowledge. That is why they are afraid, brothers and sisters. Because they believe we'll react like them, but we're not heathen. See, that's the part they're leaving out. We forgive you. Read it again, brother. Verse 28, please. Job 31, verse 28. This also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge. For I should have denied the God that is above, if I rejoice at the destruction of him that hated me, or lift up myself when evil found him. Neither have I suffered my mouth to sin by wishing a curse to, to his soul. Now look at that, brothers and sisters. Gloating over the misfortune or calamity of an enemy is prohibited, brothers and sisters. This is not an a innocuous sin because it gives indication of what? A harbored hatred. See, if you rejoice at someone's misfortune, that shows hatred. So that's not some innocuous sin, brothers and sisters. That's not something minuscule. That's an indication of something greater. How do we know? How do we know? First John 2 and 9. How do we know, brothers and sisters, that that's an indication of something greater when you look at an enemy and are glad that they failed? 1 John 2, verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. You see that? <laughs> see, that's why it's no small innocuous sin. Because it gives an indication of hatred. See, and guess what? You're still in darkness if you hate of your brother. You're still in darkness if you like to see people who you dislike fail or be harmed. Listen, yes, we're Israelites. I don't want, you know, Gentiles to be, you know, killed off. But, I mean, if you don't do what's right, there's nothing I can say. Same thing with our people. I don't want our people to be killed off. But if you don't do what's right, what more can I say? See, that's why we're bringing you the truth. Why? Because we love you and we want you to turn from your evil ways before you meet the judge. See, we're not the judge. We're the servants to prepare you for the judge. See, we're not happy about the judgment that's going to come to Gentiles if they don't straighten up. Because why? Read that again, brother. 1 John 2, verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. See, you're really still in the darkness if you're dealing with hatred. So our people who hate the white man and say the white man is the devil, brother, you're still in darkness. You know you're an Israelite, but you're still in darkness and you're on your way to hell. Why? Because you have hatred. You're still blind. 
Same thing for white people or anyone else that may hate us. And then try to cover it up in Christianity or however else they want to cover it up. If you hate us, you're in darkness and you're headed to hell. Period. Brothers and sisters, please follow us to Matthew 5 and 9. Matthew 5 verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Read that one more time, brother. Blessed are the peacemakers, for Why? they shall be called the children of God. Why, brother? For they shall be called the children of God. Only they will have the honor of being identified as children of the Most High, <laughs> whether you're an Israelite or not. Read that one more time, brother, because true children resemble their father. That's why it said, what, what did it say? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. They shall be called the children of God. Because true children resemble their father. See that, brothers and sisters? A person can only work towards peace if he's at peace himself. So you can't be a child of God and you're dealing with hatred. Because God doesn't do that. He doesn't deal with that. He hates evil. Yeah. There's a difference. Blessed are the peacemakers. That means a person who pursues peace. Even if someone is bringing animosity and hostility to you, you are bringing forth the peace. Those are the children of God. Why? Because Christ came for reconciliation. We were at war with the Most High God. He came and shed his blood on the heavenly tabernacle so we could have peace. So who are you following? Are you following Christ? Or are you following being an Israelite? Brothers and sisters, follow us to Luke 19 and 17. What does that say, brother? Luke 19, verse 17. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little. Because what, brother? Thou hast been faithful in a very little. Because you've been faithful in the minor things. Have thou authority over ten cities. Look at that. <laughs> See, that's what the whole lesson was about, brothers and sisters. It was preparation for restoration. He's saying, since you've been faithful with the small things I've taught you, or I've told you, now I can grant you authority over great things. You see that, brothers and sisters? So, yes, he told us about the Sabbath. Why? Because he knows there's going to be a Sabbath year while you're in the land. Yes, he told you about giving your first fruits to the Most High. Why? Because he knows inside the land of Israel, you don't own anything. See that? Yes, he said, don't rejoice over your enemy's failure. Why? Because he, he understood that the same people we deem enemies today will be our students tomorrow. So he's been prepping us, brothers and sisters. He has been preparing us. Let's go to Ezekiel 37 and 21 and close it out. Ezekiel, the 37th chapter, the 21st through the 25th verse. Ezekiel 37 verse 21. And say unto them, Say unto the Israelites, Thus said the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen. He will take us from amongst the heathen. Why? Because 
really, brothers and sisters, people were not supposed to live amongst each other. People were supposed to live amongst their own people. Koreans were to live amongst Koreans. Whites were made to create among, uh, you know, to live among whites. Blacks and Hispanics were meant to live amongst each other. This whole everybody gather up and mix, that's Babylonian. It's not of God. Because why? Korean people like Korean food with Korean music. And there's nothing wrong with that. Black people like soul food with, you know, soulful music. There's nothing wrong with that. What happens is when you start mixing all these people, what starts to happen? What you're seeing today? <laughs> Black people being sprayed with water hoses. Latinos being hung for trying to use the wrong restrooms. So that's really not of God. So when Christ comes back, that intermixing and all that, that's going to be over with, brothers and sisters. Each person is going to go back to their own land, including us. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 21, And say unto them, Thus said the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land. Christ will gather us into our own land, and I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. This is Christ. And they shall be no more two nations. What does that mean? Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. The different kingdoms were the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. They were split after Solomon, two different kingdoms, brothers and sisters. He said, I'm going to bring my people back together to be one nation. Continue. Verse 23. Neither shall they defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their disstable dis things nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of their dwelling places, wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people, and I will be their God. And David my servant shall be king over them. Christ. And they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments, and observe my statues, and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they, and their children, and their children's children, forever. How long? Forever. How long? Forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Brothers and sisters, this is the future. This is what we have to look for. What we just read was why we were... Going through what we just went through, brothers and sisters. The whole lesson was preparation for restoration. What we just read was a restoration, brothers and sisters. <laughs> that was the restoration. Our people in our land, following righteousness, observing the law, statutes, and commandments, right? With our King Christ through the seed of David. That was the restoration, brothers and sisters. So we took you from the beginning. All the way through, you know, from the time of Mount Sinai, brothers and sisters, where we were, where we were receiving the laws that were in preparation or to prepare us mentally to reside within the land. This, and we didn't follow those laws. And we were spewed out, as the scripture says. You cannot live in the land and do evil. Why? Because the land is the house of God. God lives there, brothers and sisters. 
So because of that, we cannot do evil in the land and expect to go unpunished. So we wanted to show you how the small things or what you may deem small actually are part of a bigger picture, brothers and sisters, as we prove today. So I really need our brothers and sisters to examine the scriptures that we went over today. Take your notes, brothers and sisters, and see how the laws that the Most High God have given us is, is you know, there to help change our perception. Not only change our perception, brothers and sisters, but prepare us for the future. Today's lesson, preparation for restoration. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.